Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to uh, see you here this morning, and it's certainly good to be seen. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, before we get into the lesson, um, life is extremely precious. I, I think that's I'm going to continue to be this broken record until the, at least the end of the year, but life is extremely precious. Amen. Um, I know that, again, we're, some of us are tired, we're worn down, uh, we're feeling pain, um, but thanks be to God that you are alive. Amen. Um, that you have the breath of life, uh, you have blood still flowing through your veins Amen. and through your body. Um, why is that so valuable? I mean, yes, <clears throat> you know, Paul in the scripture said, you know, I'd much rather be up there than to be on this, be on this earth. But, you know, that was a man. He was a man who um, was, was faithful to God in every way. Um, he had exercised his faith in a number of different occasions. Um, he was a mature Christian. Um, some of us in this room may not be where he was at. Um, you know, the, the scripture tells us when he, when he wrote that letter, that second letter to Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight of faith, I have finished my course, and now henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He was a man who was at that juncture. I don't know if all of us in this room are at that point. Yeah. I don't know if all of us in this room uh, can can say with the level of confidence that he said it that uh, he's ready to go at any moment. Hey, God, anytime you call me home, I am suited and booted for eternal life. The reason why it is a blessing to to be alive today is if you are not at that point, God has blessed you with another opportunity today to be prepared for your eventual passing. Each of us in this room are going to die. We're not going to live forever. It may be tomorrow. It may be later on today. It may be next year, next month, next millennium. But we're all going to die. And every day that we have an opportunity to be alive is another day to prepare ourselves for that eventual day of our passing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the top of my lesson is uh, rebuking with purpose. Um, there is a lot to be said about rebuke because rebuke is 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 a good thing. I was talking to I don't know if I was talking oh, maybe I mentioned it uh, in Bible class a couple days ago or excuse me last Sunday about negative words and how our brains are wired to negativity. Um, our, our brains are sponges of negative remarks. Um, you're ugly, you're not smart, you're too slow, uh, you're not good enough. Those are all words that um, stick with us. And rebuke, uh, by definitions, are, are words of, I wouldn't say necessarily negativity, um, because they are addressing a negative issue, but they are words of constructive criticism. You know, the scripture tells us that all scripture is profitable for rebuke, for reproof, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what the word of God is for. 
Um, but as we talked about in our Bible study this morning about, you know, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. Um, I would say that his rebuking also maketh us rich. And yes, there is some sorrow that goes along with it because we have obviously done something wrong in order to deserve that rebuke. But he does it with the purpose of building you up and not tearing you down. Uh, I say that to say this, that rebuking is powerful because of how our brains are wired. If somebody rebukes me and says, Thomas, um, you're, you're not as righteous as you should be for these following reasons, it is more, I would be more attentive to that than somebody saying, Thomas, you know, you're the righteous person I know. Let me give you a pat on the back because our brains are wired to hold on to negative things. Now, that is not to say that our brains don't like positivity. Yes, all of us in this room like our ego stroked every once in a while, right? All of us love to hear uh, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're the best, you're awesome. Um, but the reason why we need those positive words of affirmation continually is because we forget about them. We forget about them after, right after our next failure. So I can lose a race. Somebody can tell me, you're the fastest person I know, and lose horribly. And what do I, what do I forget? I forget those positive words of affirmation. I need them again. But negativity... You don't need to be reminded. It sticks with you. And so does rebuke. But if you rebuke with, a, with the right purpose, or if you rebuke with the purpose of love and kindness and uplifting, it will have a twofold effect. Not only will, they not be, not only will it stick with them, but it will stick with them and make them better. It's kind of like uh, inserting a, um, uh, it's kind of like an antibiotic or an antiviral or anything along those lines, right? You, you take it and maybe gives you an upset stomach. You may um, feel a little nauseated, but it sticks with you, right? And, and it internally cleanses your spiritual body of those impurities and those things that would make you otherwise unrighteous. Amen. Or would make you otherwise righteous is, is what I meant to say. With that in mind, uh, let's turn over to uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And um, there is a misconception with um, rebuking. And for that matter, um, reproving and exhortation. And I say there's a misconception because we are all experts. Or we think we're experts. We all think that we know better than somebody else because maybe we've been there and done that. You know, we are the masters uh, of everything, you know, in our own minds. And what Paul taught, uh, tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge thee... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, to do what? To preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, 
exhort, and we stop there. You know, there are some people in the body of Christ that, that take this charge to the nth degree. And what I mean by that is they rebuke, but they don't rebuke with the right purpose. They just rebuke for the sake of rebuking. I, I don't know if you have, have seen this in, in your own personal life. I certainly have. That there are some very opinionated brothers and sisters in Christ. So much so that when they see something, somebody doing something they ought not to be, they are Johnny on the spot. I mean, they are good for some rebuking, rebuking and exhortation. Right? But they don't do it with what? All long-suffering <coughs> Great example of that uh, we can see in, in the book of Acts. Um, in the book of Acts, and you guys probably are familiar with this, I believe it's in the 13th uh, chapter. Um, the brothers, the elders, if you will, came together and they had a, a meeting in Jerusalem. Uh, it's actually in Acts chapter 15. And uh, it says that the, the elders and the chief, um, uh, where is it here? Um, the Pharisees, um, in verse number four, it says the, the apostles, the elders, the Pharisees, all of these individuals of, of great knowledge and wisdom in the scripture came together and they said, we need to go out and we need to generally rebuke all Gentile Christians for being Gentiles. We need to rebuke them and reprove and exhort them that they need to take hold of all of our old ways. They need to become Jewish, they need to become Jews or Judaizers um, in order to fully be accepted into uh, the church of Jesus Christ. Peter stood up, as it says in verse number 7, after there was much dispute, and he said, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Mm -hmm. You know, there are some members of the body of Christ who were who prove, rebuke, and exhort, but they are putting a yoke on others that they themselves weren't able to bear. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like saying, you know what, you ought to do, you ought to stop smoking, because smoking is a sin. I'm reproving, I'm, I'm exhorting you to stop smoking cigarettes, but I chew smokeless tobacco. Yes. What? Really? I'm easy, I can quickly rebuke, I can, I can always point out somebody else's flaws. But as Peter said in this particular passage, as, as all of these wise men were, were intended to do, 
they were intending to send Paul and Barnabas out to all of these various congregations and tell all the Gentile Christians, we're rebuking you for not accepting the ways of the Old Testament Scripture. Peter Stubb said, whoa, time out. We're not rebuking with the right purpose. We're just rebuking because we feel the need to rebuke. We want to make these people somehow work for their salvation. We somehow want to prove their, um, prove their worth of the Holy Ghost by somehow taking on all of the things that uh, were in the Mosaic Law. But Peter stood up and said, we're, no, 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 that is not the right purpose. He said, God made no difference between us and them in that he gave us the same Holy Ghost. He gave us the same Spirit. So you know what they wound up doing? After Peter stood up, after there was a bunch of arguing, you know, they're not worthy of this because they don't even, they don't even tithe and they don't even do this. They're not circumcised. You know, come on. At the end of this, they rebuked with the right purpose. And this was their rebuking. As it says in, <clears throat> going back to Acts chapter 15, um, they decided to write unto the Gentile Christians this, in verse number 20, that they abstain from the pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. And that was it. It says in verse 22, it says, then pleased, it the, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Bar Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they went about and they spread the gospel. Now one thing that they were also charged to do, as we can read here in verse number 24, was that these men were also sent out to correct other men of the gospel, other men of the church who were rebuking with the wrong purpose. Mm -hmm. How do I know this? It says in verse number 24, it says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. goes on to say in verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Why were they necessary things? They were necessary because they were necessary to get those men and women, those Gentile Christians, in a closer relationship to God. Talk about rebuking with purpose. Are we rebuking and providing those necessary things and not just 
stuff that we've added on to it just because we feel like we have to, you know. But those just those basic necessary things which are beneficial for that individual's spiritual health. So what do they say? What were those necessary things? Again, to abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication. From which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. And that was it. Period. End of story. I have in my life, um, I've been rebuked plenty of times. And some of the rebuking was with purpose. Some of the rebuking was not was was without the right purpose. Mm -hmm. I guess why I I could say with that form and fashion. But it's still the truth. Can you argue the truth? No, you can't argue the truth. You know the truth is what it is. Now I will tell you that. Um, the men who were telling them that they must be circumcised and to keep the law, um, it wasn't necessary. There was no commandment. But would it have been a bad thing for them to take on some of the elements of the Mosaic, uh, the Mosaic law? No. It would have been a bad thing. The scripture tells us that the, the, the law was holy. Because it was given by the holy. It just so happens that mankind just didn't have the ability to uh, kind of uh, measure up to that level of holiness at that time. For people say, you know, in a bad way, Thomas, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. There's some truth in those words. The delivery was completely wrong, but there was certainly truth in those words. And, and just to kind of emphasize that, if you can go back to the scripture reading, uh, Paul talks about this in uh, the book of Philippians uh, chapter 1. And he says that, you know, there were those, even in his time, that were rebuking him. Some with the right purpose and some with the wrong purpose, but he acknowledged that regardless, the truth was being spoken. Uh, again, if you look back at uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, um, and let's start at uh, verse number 12. He says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, that was his purpose. He is, I'm just an example. I'm, 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 a, um, I'm a means of, uh, of strength and encouragement for others by the things that I have gone through. He goes on to say in verse number 15, Some indeed, you know, with that boldness, preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. 
What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know, there's, you know, if we use the scripture, and again, all scripture is profitable for reproof, rebuke, for instruction in righteousness. Regardless of how you use it, regardless of the purpose, it is profitable for reproving and rebuking. Now, I'll give you an example. If I were on the street corner and I was rebuking passerbys, you're a sinner! You're going to hell per this scripture! Am I rebuking with, with long-suffering and doctrine? Yeah, I am. It takes a lot of patience, right, to stand out there on the street corner and yell at the top of my lungs, right? I'm being patient. I'm not physically grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them and calling them a sinner. I'm just standing afar off, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking the truth. I'm using doctrine. But am I rebuking? Am I rebuking with the right purpose? You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 that Christ, what does he say again? He says, whether in pretense or in truth, what is being preached? The truth is getting out there. But it may not be the most effective way of doing it. If you have your Bibles, <clears throat> turn back to uh, uh, 2 Timothy. And uh, um, Thomas, or excuse me, Brother Garner, <clears throat> um, if you can read for read for us uh, again, Second Timothy chapter four, uh, verses one through five. <clears throat> I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, the instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they eat to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full fruit of thy ministry. You know, it takes a lot of patience. I've got I've got some rebuking to do of a family member. And I am trying to figure out a way to rebuke with the right purpose. Well, I know what my purpose is. I know what I want to get. I know what the I know what I know what I like the end result to be. I guess I'm trying to work on how do I rebuke in the right way, or in such a way that the person who is receiving this rebuke um, will take it and do something with it. 
and not just throw it by the wayside. Um, the reason why um, it is frustrating, or the reason why that guy is on the street corner telling everybody he's a sinner is because he's lost his patience. You know, as Paul was telling Timothy, he says, you need to go out and reprove, rebuke, and exhort because there is, come, there is going to be a time when people are going to be led astray with itching ears. Meaning they're going to hear something unusual, it's going to appeal to their flesh, and they're going to be drawn away from the gospel of Christ. So you've got to get out there. Be instant in season and out of season. Be quick to drop knowledge um, wherever it needs to be dropped to keep people in the, the right uh, spiritual mindset, to keep people you know, walking that straight and narrow path. To that extent, it is frustrating when you, you try the easy way, right? You know, you know what, what do I say? You, you, you put on the kitty gloves, you give the, the, the warm and fuzzy, and they still don't get it. And you're like, they need to get it because their soul is at stake. You know what? I'm, I'm losing my patience. I'm about to put hands on them. You know, I'm going to rebuke. I'm going to say the same exact things, but you know, I'm going to be rebuking to hurt. Yes. Right? Because I'm, I lost my patience. I'm angry. I'm going to speak the same words, but I'm going to say them with the intent of maiming, opening wounds. I want to make them bleed. I'm using those words on purpose. Mm -hmm. Right? It sounds violent. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who rebuke with violence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from the truth that's spoken. Well, it does. But the truth is being spoken. But I'm 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 and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to hurt somebody. If you have your Bibles, um Turn to the book of James. And uh, James chapter 3 is where we're going to start. Now, the, the scripture tells us that we are always to have our, 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 our word seasoned with salt. You know, there, there is, you know, we always have to rebuke with love and compassion and patience. That always has to be there. Um, because that's the only way that the word, the truth, can truly do its work. Can truly do its magic. Can truly change someone's life. And James talks about this here in greater detail. He says, my brethren... Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You know what he's talking about here? <clears throat> the more you know about the gospel of Christ, the more God is going to hold you accountable to the gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you know one should just be ignorant just so they can 
use it as a as an out. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is to the one who is rebuking, they need to make sure that with their rebuke, they're not condemning themselves to eternal damnation as well. Amen. I cannot rebuke somebody else and expect when I stand before the judgment seat of God to say, I didn't know if I rebuked somebody for doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So when you rebuke, you are also, in essence, putting yourself in danger of the same yes. condemnation. I got to check myself. So when I talk to my family member about the things that she has to do or the things that she needs to do in order to lay hold on to eternal life, I got to check myself. I got to say, Thomas, before I go into this conversation now, number one, you got to do it with love. You have to do it with patience. You have to do it with grace and humility mm -hmm. and all the things seasoned with salt. But you also have to go into that conversation. You got to check yourself first. Man. Am I in the process of rebuking, putting myself in a position of condemnation? Because once it's spoken, it's out. I can't go to God and say, like, for example, rebuke you for smoking cigarettes, but me continuing to use smokeless tobacco. Yes. God's going to say, now, now, brother, my son... I heard you rebuking that, that sister for smoking cigarettes, but I'm also, you are going to be subject to that same condemnation because you're smoking chewless tobacco or smokeless tobacco. Same thing, right? Jesus talks about that, about judging with righteous judgment. He says, before you judge somebody, remove the mote that is in your own eye first. So Paul is talking about that. He says, now, brethren, <clears throat> don't be in such a rush to think you know everything. Don't be in such a rush to think that you are so high and mighty that you can rebuke any and everybody because you just somehow are the great example, the greatest example of spiritual things. He says, why do you say that? Because we... Knowing that we shall see the, receive the greater condemnation. He goes on to say in verse number 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Does rebuking equate to being offensive? Or should a rebuke be offensive? Okay, let me let me help. Let's let's work towards this here. If you offend me, what am I going to do? I mean, what's the natural what's the natural inclination of a human once they've been offended? to guard, to fight back, mm -hmm. to be aggressive, right? They're being attacked. And when I'm attacked, I'm either going to run or I'm going to fight. Yes. And all the 
things that Paul did, even when he rebuked Peter openly for doing what? Peter was eating with the Gentiles, the Jews come in the room, Peter gets up, Paul, what did he do? He rebuked him to his face. But do you think Paul got in his face and said, whoa, boy, pointing his finger, raising his voice, you know, embarrassing him, talking down on him? Do you, do you think Paul would do that? No, Paul wouldn't do that. Paul rebuked him openly. He did. But he did it with the purpose of building Peter up. Yes. He did it with love. He did it with humility. He did it with grace. How do I know all those things? Because Paul and Peter, it didn't say that Peter went off and hit him in the face. Or Peter went off and said, I don't want anything to do with you, Paul. It said that Peter, what did he do? Well, let's go back and look at it. Let's go back and look at uh, Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. It says in verse number 11 of Galatians chapter 2, when, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Because he was to be blamed for the reasons that we, we just spoke of. And in verse 14 it says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, If thou be a Jew, livest after the manner, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He rebuked him. He, was, he did that openly. But what was his purpose? His purpose wasn't to embarrass. His purpose wasn't to anger. His purpose was not to, as I stated before, to rebuke with malice and violence, to cut, to slay, to open up. No, he did it the purpose of building, not just Peter, but everyone else that was in that room. I've got three little ones, and my lovely wife is teaching me every day, <clears throat> you know, to... You know, say things a certain way. You know, she tells me all the time, Thomas, you know, you're right on, but you didn't say it right. And I know why I didn't say it right, because I was angry. And I wanted to cut. I wanted to hurt. I really wanted to cause my child pain, because I was angry. What I was telling them was the truth, but because I, it hurt me. So I was frustrated. I can't do that. I can't be the type of person that rebukes with that intention. God knows my heart. He knows where I'm coming from. And when I open my mouth, and I have 
anger, if I have anything other than love, compassion, humility, grace, regardless of whether the truth is being spoken, I am not doing it with the right person. It will not fully do what it's intended to do. Furthermore, I'm not perfect. A lot of people out there who rebuke as if they're perfect. Don't rebuke me if you're struggling with the same thing. There's a way to do it. There's uh, Brother, sister, that's not, you shouldn't be doing that. But hey, I struggle with the same thing. Let's you and I work together and strengthen us. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, pointing your nose down at them, pointing the finger, rebuking Er, 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 er. You're this. You need to do this, that, and the other. We don't know how that, how that, what that looks like. Mm-hmm. There's a danger with rebuke, especially if you're struggling with that same thing, because you are condemning yourself as soon as it comes out of your mouth. Oh, I can tell my kids. If my if uh, my kids aren't doing their best in something, and I rebuke them for not putting their 100% best, when I'm not putting my 100% best in the things that I'm doing, yes. it doesn't change the words of wisdom, the truth in those words, right? That's not what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is, is because I'm saying and I'm also condemning myself if I'm not doing the things that I'm rebuking others do as well. And that is the danger, I would say not the danger, but the pitfall of being a preacher of the gospel of Christ. I can rebuke from the pulpit, go sit down in after I'm done and be like, you know what? Man, I just rebuked the entire congregation for the thing that I struggle with. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But what that does is that puts Thomas Gardner in a precarious position. Because God now, now, listen, now God knows that I know that I'm doing wrong. And that's, boy, that is a dangerous spot to be in because there's no hiding from that. You are in plain sight. Bibles, please turn to uh, the book of Luke. starting in verse number 54. <clears throat> it starts in verse 54. It says, then, they, then, they, then took they him, speaking of Jesus, 
and led him and brought him into the high priest's home, house, and Peter followed far off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, am I not? I am not, excuse me. And about a space of another hour, after another confidentially affirmed saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. We were talking about the, the power of words yes. in, in our lesson, our Sunday morning Bible lesson. We know that words, as James talks about, are lethal. They can be lethal, but they can also be life-giving. Yes. Peter was condemned by the words that he spoke. God already told him. And you know what Peter said? I'll never do that, Christ. As a matter of fact, if it came to that, I'll die with you. I can only imagine what Jesus was thinking after that. Probably thinking, well, okay, Peter, but your words will condemn you. Your words will condemn you regardless. Here's what I mean by that. As soon as you speak the truth, you are affirming to everybody on the planet, and certainly before God, that you know the truth. Yes. If, you, if I can say with my mouth that all sinners will go to hell, and I believe that to be the truth as is spoken in the gospel, I cannot stand before the judgment seat of God as a sinner and expect to go to any other place than hell. Rebuking is necessary. Amen. It keeps people, it keeps all of us in check. It makes us mm -hmm. accountable to one another. Yes. Mm -hmm. But just understand again that the words that are spoken are powerful. They are a testimony of what you know or what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. Rebuking is important. But we, we also need to make sure that with our rebuking, that we are also working on ourselves as well. Always rebuke with love, with patience, long-suffering, certainly with doctrine, with humility, with grace, with love, having our voice, our, what does it say, our speech always seasoned with salt. Yes, it is true. We need to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. 
reproving, rebuking, exhorting. We need to be doing that every day of the week, at every moment, that it is necessary to do so, as long as we are doing it with the right purpose. If you're here this morning and you need you you need some exhortation, you need some rebuking, while well, you come to the right place. I used to think Sister Bill um, was always on me, always on me. You can't wear this. You can't do that. Stop putting your arm around that young lady like you're married to her. Right? And I thought, why is she always rebuking me? What? Why can't she just leave me alone and let me do my thing? <clears throat> the flip side of that is you have to understand that if somebody is rebuking you with lungs, with certainly with the gospel of Christ, regardless of their delivery, the words are truth. Yeah. You got to do something with it. Amen. You have to listen to it and accept it as true. The delivery may be all bad. I'm yeah. not saying Sister Bill's delivery was. I'm going to be truthful. I know. <laughs> Sister Sister Bill's delivery was not always amenable to Thomas Garner, but I respected it because she always spoke the truth. So while I was, I always said, you know what? It's the truth. And whether it comes from her, or from you, or from you, or from you, or from you, or regardless of delivery, if I'm rebuked with the Word of God, i got to do something with it, because it's truth. However, for you as the person who's doing the rebuking, if you hope to have those words be meant to be impactful to the extent that I will change my life and do better, You've got to do it with the right place. Yes. You have to wield the sword of the That's Word right. of God with love, grace, yes. honor, humility, etc., etc. So again, if you're here this morning and you need prayers, uh, maybe there's something in your life that that you need assistance with that you may not be um, that you may not be as strong with, or there's a weakness. You can come to God this morning, your brothers and sisters in Christ, without judgment. Without looking down on you or anything along those lines, we will pray on your behalf that God will um, strengthen whatever weakness you have in your life. We all know what we did to become Christians. And that's the message that we really need to be going out there to spread to those out there in the world. We are not spiritual police officers. Amen. Amen. We don't write spiritual tickets. No, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to live our lives as examples of righteousness so that others will follow our lead, ultimately to Jesus and ultimately back to God. So when we go out there and preach the gospel, we shouldn't be clubbing people on the head. You know, you're going to hell. You want to know how to not go to hell? Okay, well, that's truth, right? But not very effective. So we need to understanding that we were once sinners as they were. We need to empathize with where they're at and preach the gospel again with salt, seasoned with salt. They need to hear the oneness of the gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel of Christ really centered around? The, the gospel of Christ is not centered around heaven or hell. That's a byproduct. 
The Gospel of Christ is centered around a four-letter word that starts with the, the letter L and ends with E. Love. Mm -hmm. Period. End of story. The Gospel of Christ is a message of love. God so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross in order to save the entire world. He did it out of love. They also need to hear that through that same love, Jesus' love for his Father, that he sacrificed himself on that cross for our sins. You know, the scripture says that husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The gospel is all about love. So we need, when we go to talk to others about the gospel of Christ, we need to be preaching the gospel of love. God loves you. He loves you enough to send me, who is also just like you, to preach his message of love so that you can avoid eternal damnation but lay hold on to eternal life. They need to hear that there is only one way to be a partaker of that love, and that's to be added to his body. Well, what does it, uh, John 3.16 say again? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that those who believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. you got to hear it. you got to believe it. You have to repent. Confess with the mouth the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized in that water grave of baptism and live faithfully until death in order to obtain a crown of life. Amen. It has nothing to do with heaven and hell. It has everything to do with love. God loves you enough to give you an opportunity to be a part of what He has built for all of us in heaven for all eternity. So the message is yours. If you have the urgency to do so, please come forward. As a